what is going to start. Right now, you do it again and then we play it, okay? Yeah, 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 States of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, ninja-style Robin Hood missions is therapy. Friendly, polite pickup basketball games with the divinities. The incredible story of the Lakota Nation's own Sue Ann Big Crow. The awesome value of keeping your own word. And are there dark conspiracies from Rome directed at the drunken Taoists? And now, quietly awaiting my one-way ticket to Guantanamo, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime... Answering hopelessness with a defiant smile and a raised middle finger, Daniel Bolelli. Away we go. Episode Sweet 16 and Never Been Kissed. Here we are, folks, back. Dodging fires left and right out here in Southern California. Ladies and gentlemen, our hero, Daniele Bolelli. Rich has been keeping me on the edge before sharing a conspiracy theory about the fire. Please do tell. Well, you know, uh, I, I had to look around, and I've been sort of contemplating this for a while. But we, we have to step back in history a little bit. Daniele did Rogan's show probably 16, 17 months ago. Late 2011. And uh, I was inspired because he told a story while he was there about that there was a time in the 1910s and 20s-ish where it looked like common sense was finally rearing its ugly head and big-time religion was starting to lose its grip. And I guess it was sort of science and, and reasonable thought was coming to the surface. Having heard those thoughts and being fascinated by them, I reached out, I guess, on Facebook initially, and then someone made a mention a few months later that maybe a podcast, and then and Daniele and I met at the Santa Monica campus and figured we might as well try this thing, and off we went. Well, since that time, many strange things have happened. Um, really reaching an apex a couple of days ago when the fire started here in California. Now, fire number one, which was the Springs Fire, happened in a place called Newberry Park, which is less than four miles from my house that I had just left. We have since relocated to an undisclosed safe house because we had a lot of concern going on. And that didn't really bother me. We have our fires now. Obviously, they are four months early this year right. and strangely dropping in weird places because yesterday... Fire number two flared up here in the Glendale area, less than five miles from a Mr. Bolelli. Coincidence? <laughs> Let's have a better look. Since the podcast started, many strange things have gone down. Now, the most immediate and, and earth-shattering and not happened for 600 years would be the stepping down of Pope Ratzenberger. Oh, there was a clear connection. How could I miss that? Uh, it took a minute for me to see it as well, and I can understand where people would miss it. But he didn't die... He quit, something that had not happened in hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's been bothering me. Why would he quit? Was something going to come out that the church was broke? Was he the guy that was in charge of uh, pedophilia? None of those things, apparently. He had a bigger mission afloat. He had heard about the Drunken Taos podcast and how that we were spreading this possibility that the world could live without religion, that the fact that good can exist without God 
And I think he was immediately dispatched by his, I must be some dark council of higher than the Pope Pope people. With the fires raging, it became quite obvious to me that that was his first strike. It's more of a very Sicilian, Italian sort of uh, warning. I see. You know, we're not going to burn your house down, but let's have a look at your neighbors all burnt down. See how you feel about that. They, uh, the next step is the horse said in your bed. Easily. I Easily. See. And it's got me, you know, it's got me a, a bit concerned. I don't know how to put this correctly with sound, without sounding like a maniac. Sound like a maniac? No, you started so well. I, I would say that danger is completely... Way, un- way, too, yeah. way too far to worry about that. I, I, I kind of root for the fires. About... Just go. The fires want to go to the ocean. And the spring fire made it to the ocean. Right. Now, that being said, and hear me loud and clear, because the, the part that will make it to the world is I kind of root for the fires. Yeah. With this caveat, I don't want anybody to burn, and I don't particularly want anybody's property, unless maybe you're the president of Verizon or something, to burn. Um, so I don't want anybody hurt, because I've seen that. I've right. seen what fire can do, and nobody deserves to go that way. But when it's roaring, and it's doing what fires have done for a kajillion years, which is clear it out, and let it start again, man, let it go. Today, I would say, we started on a good foot. So we have, in your first three minutes, we have established that Alex Jones is nobody compared to you. No. Okay, so I think this episode should be interesting. It's going to be a good one, for sure. But we're getting into rants and philosophy before we even started. So I'm let's sorry, get I, just, into... I just jumped right in because the, the fires were amazing and it is great that nobody right. really got hurt and uh, we got lucky this time because I think it's... You know, it's going to be more and more this year, and that's kind of how it goes. So. Yeah, that's the niche of the game in Southern Cal. That's Usara. Thank you guys very much for sponsoring the podcast. Um, by the way, if you guys want to check out, I began writing occasionally for the That's Usara website. Um, I've done, well, the first one was a piece that was actually from the book 50 Things You're Not Supposed to Know Religion about E.Q. Sojun, one of my heroes. I just did the more original piece for them about Bruce Lee. These are basically sort of the Datsusara heroes. The Datsusara is the create your own path approach to things, which slightly resonate with me, considering what I just finished writing as a book. But so we're picking, you know, a few historical figures that fit this trend. And whenever I actually have the time and energy to write something, I'll put it down. So, so far we have EQ and Bruce Lee. If you guys want to check it out, go to the Datsusara website, which will be listed as usual in our episode notes with uh, discount codes if you guys want to buy any of their products or you can just go there and check out the pieces, the, the articles. Is there is there a, a link to the cartoon yet? Uh, yeah, I think we put it up there. Yeah, there's also um, Datsusara put, um, I think we mentioned it last time, and hired Paul Clawiter to do this cartoon that was based on some drunken Taoist audio when we were talking about the wonders of hemp, uh, the, uh, yeah, I was way out there and they had a good time putting together an animation of it that's super well done. So I'm going to make sure to have the link also in our episode notes. Um, our affiliates, short design t-shirts. Um, what more can I say about these guys? They're awesome. Uh, please check out all their stuff. Um, there's again, like all of the affiliates that I'm going to mention, there are discount codes. So if you guys want to buy any of it, make sure you use the discount. We have uh, Kurokao chocolate uh, and we have audible.com. Any of the above, whether you guys are interested in awesome t-shirts, chocolate, audiobooks, 
any of the above, check our episode notes, go, there, go through them. Our own t-shirts where I think we're going to get some more from Shore Design is going to send some more Drunken Taoish t-shirts because there are a few sizes that I was I already run out of. So if you guys are interested in t-shirts, if particularly you wear either really tiny shirts or really big shirts or any on the, that are basically the sizes that are less common, please shoot me an email as quick as possible so we can try to make sure to order some that fit you. Otherwise, you sort of get stuck with whatever we get. And uh, but yeah, we should get a new batch soon. So if you guys want T-shirts, please just shoot me an email, and uh, I'll make sure to let you know, confirming whether we do or do not have your size and favor colored or not. It's funny how great the shirts are. They really are a different. Love them. Once it, and like the, the Sexist Dawn shirts are awesome. Mm-hmm. Like it's the same stuff. When, when Duncan goes on about how soft they are, he is not lying. It's yeah. really an amazing thing. Those are the, the short design ones. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the ones we have are actually slightly different because short design hooked us up with them, but they are the more typical sort of, I forget which one they use. They're not Hanes, but kind of like those type For of shirts. Or something, the, something yeah, real. Yeah. They're, they're not the three armhole ones that we were offered initially. Yeah. <laughs> but we are actually considering doing another shirt that would be in short design material at some point in the not too distant future. Oh, the Dreamcatcher logo? No, that actually is a way complex, weird one. I sent uh, the idea to the artist and their comment was, Jesus Christ, you weren't kidding when you said a complex design. I said, no. So I I will not spoil it for now. We'll see how that goes. Excellent. uh, um, Thank you very much to Desi House for providing the music. Um, A few donations to mention. So butchering time. Let's screw up your names. No, I think I'll do well with at least the first few. We have uh, this month, we have David Matthews, Logan Cameron, Alison Walton, Matt Carson, Zeb Hardin, Leanne Lowe, uh, Imran Hamed, Nick Barcome, uh, Eugene. I want to pronounce, I would say it's a somewhat French sounding because the last name looked like Livre to me. I may be mistaken. It's actually the second time that Eugene donates, and it's the second time that I do have to mention the place where he donates from, because it's just too cool, is Waipukurau, New Zealand. Waipukurau, that's a cool name. That is a cool name. And um, thank you very much to all of you guys. Much appreciated. So if you guys are in dire need of parting with some of your cash, we would love to be the recipient of such generosity. Um, So yes, always appreciated donations. Now, I'm, I mentioned that before, I mentioned it again. Anybody who donate to the podcast, anybody who bought any of my books, if you shoot me a message and let me know about it, I'll uh, email you back with a PDF that we put together of quotes and aphorisms, some taken from On the Warrior's Path, some from Creative Religion, some from unpublished stuff. So anytime, just shoot me a message and I'll reply with the PDF. Um, Last but not least, if you guys can use our Amazon link for any of your Amazon purchases, that's always very appreciated. And uh, what else do we need to wrap before we finish our intro? Oh yeah, one thing I wanna mention. I got a zillion messages over the last few months of people asking me about um, what books do I recommend about Taoism. And I mean, other than the Tao Te Ching, and even that is complicated because there are so many translations, some are really shitty, some are good. And I list some of this stuff at uh, danielabolelli.com. I put under suggested readings some of these books, some possible translations. But one thing that got me thinking is that anytime somebody asks me about Taoism, I'm about to say, oh, of course, 
and then I can quite finish the sentence because a lot of the books I can think of, they are good books, but they don't exactly satisfy me 100%. There's a lot of Alan Watts that's great. You know, I really dig him. He wrote this book, Tao, The Watercourse Way. He wrote several others about Zen Buddhism that's very much related. But even Alan Watts, whom I love, who I think is amazing, I tried uh, sharing it with a few people who are less nerdy and philosophically inclined than I am, and they find this style just too... You need to be a nerdy philosophical type to dig him. Then you love him, but, you know, it's not exactly the language that everybody can relate to. So one thing that I've been thinking of doing is... Um, the towel for dummies. Yeah, I mean, in one sense, I, of course, I'm like, oh, I need to, I should do a book, except that there are like 12 books that I have ahead of that that I want to write, and I don't <laughs> have the fucking time to do even one. So, so then what I decided to do was easier would be to do a lecture series, to just record a lecture series on Taoism. And that is uh, the plan. I would like before the end of the year to have it out so that we can release it through iTunes to do a um, Taoist lecture series. So keep your ears open. It may happen. Uh, hopefully will before the end of the year. Are you familiar with Zen Flesh and Zen Bones? Yeah. yeah. I like that one. Of course. Those are fun riddles. Of course. It's funny. I started reading it. First time I read Zen Flesh and Bones, I was a kid. I was like 12 years old or something. Yeah. And I think I understood one Forum. story yeah yeah, yeah. i was the same way like and, 16 yeah and then i read it throughout my life at various points and each time you get a few others now i think i'm down to like 30 to 40 and um but yeah it's it's a very very cool collection of zen story definitely i thought so i thought yeah. it was a fun one last but not least and this time i swear i mean it when i say last but not least this time it is the last thing i'm gonna say in the intro an idea floating around we'll see what comes out of it there's a possibility at some point in a not too close but not too distant future to do a Bolelli Duncan Trussell retreat of having a, maybe a weekend or something where we set up a seminar chat about Taoism chat about Bhagavad Gita chat about various things chat about growing your own mescaline <laughs> products yeah freaking Duncan put that in a, in a podcast it was a random comment made outside of the recording apparently <laughs> made it in there but no I mean so again these are random ideas of the moment we'll see whether they come through or not but that's what's up in any case we'll shut up and let's get on with our game Rant of the day. Here we go. Uh, I think I mentioned that before, but this time we'll go deeper into this. I don't know what the hell people see when... Let me start simple, okay? Then we go into the ramifications of this weird story. But over the last few months, it happened multiple times that people have told me they thought of me after seeing the weirdest movies. Specifically, one of my favorite was somebody watched The Grey where, you know, this dude, group of guys running away from walls into and getting eaten alive by walls and all of that. And there's like, this guy was like, you know, I just watched the movie, made me think of your life. And I'm like, uh, come again? But this is nothing compared to the guy who brought me a whole set of Breaking Bad. Uh, this was back a year or two ago when I hadn't watched it yet. I didn't know what it was at the time. 
and um, he was trying to explain Breaking Bad to me and he started getting into it and getting a little sidetrack and then kind of cutting it short. He's like, well, basically it's kind of like your life. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and then I started reading. I'm like, how the fuck is that like my life? Let's, well, let's you do explain. make some really great math. So, <laughs> I mean, that, I can see drawing that connection. Right. And I you are a wacky teacher. So yeah, but for the sake of clarity, exactly. Let me go on record to say I do not make mad. No, that was a joke, everybody. I am not going for deadly diseases. But like, he is a wacky teacher, and I'm hoping not to be eaten alive by wolves. By the way, that's so, good. Yeah, I don't understand. Now, are these people that know you well, or just sort yeah? Of I mean, I, I the the great part I don't know. The Breaking Bad I do have a theory, and I'm gonna go into that, which will lead us to the main part of the rant <laughs> of the day. But uh, the thing that bugs is like. Why can't somebody watch some um, happily ever after kind of story and then think of me? You know, really just deadly diseases, wolves eating you and uh, meth making. Oh, what the hell? You know, Daniele, I was, I, was, I was watching the Mother Teresa story just yesterday <laughs> and it made me think of you. <laughs> oh, God. But no, the one part where I do vaguely see the point in regard to Breaking Bad is um, my talent slash passion for illegal tendency and my somewhat flexible morality in certain like i noticed the other day i was looking at my facebook account and i saw that under the list of inspirational people i had listed robin hood twice and you know robin hood once say something robin hood twice really that's the one and so i deleted one and i was like okay you know maybe i'm overdoing it and it got me thinking and like Oh, yeah, I guess that is a running thread. And I do see. So point being, yes, my relationship with the law is rather curious, to say the least. And um, I do, I have and I do break lots of laws on a fairly routine basis. So there's that. And I can see the law. And clearly, you know, for obvious reasons, I can go into the details of what for, you know, if it was just about the past, one can do that when... Talking about current events, not so much. But <clears throat> to clarify, one point that I do dig is the difference, at least philosophically in my mind, between criminal behavior and outlaw behavior. And I find the two deeply different. Criminal behavior is uh, I'll, there's no consciousness, moral, there's nothing other than I want shit, you have it, I'll slaughter you and uh, drink the blood of your children. That's not where we're going That's for That's the here. Kaiser Sose mode. Yeah, we, we don't dig that part at all. Not cool on, on any level, not justified on any level, not anything fun on any level. The, um, the outlaw mode, on the other end, is... Because people get confused, you know, they see my f rather flexible morality when it comes to breaking a lot of laws, and so they assume that I just have none. Very different, actually. My morality is, oddly enough, super strict. It just happens to be different from most people's sense of morality. Well, it's, a, it's, it's your renegade sort of uh, blend to your normal sort of progressive thinking that you're just taking a bit further. Yeah, let's, let's put I'm it with that you 100%, because, you know, and I think as long as you're not hurting actual persons in any way thank you if you were kind of fucking over oh let's just at random say a big corporation like verizon thank you for making the point yes that's, that's exactly. not a bad thing at all and a matter of fact i, I myself will encourage that behavior as well because a they can handle it and it's the inequalities that these corporations and big fat cats of the world have unleashed on everybody that has everybody in this mode where you got to grab what you can every once in a while to survive anyway 
Yeah, I mean, really my morality in that sense boils down to three things, and that's why what you're mentioning doesn't fit those three things, and as such is fair game. My morality boils down to, I never break my word. That to me is just sacred beyond belief. I'll twist the truth around, I'll do things. In and other, even be wrong on occasion. No, but in happens. other context, you right. know what I mean? But if somebody really know, need to know where I stand, I want to make sure that people who like me, that people I got along with, if they ask me, look, no bullshit here, I really need to know what's up. Can you give me my word on that? If I say it, then they can take it to the bank and there's no question. That makes me feel good, makes me feel like then the rest of my moral flexibility doesn't mean it's self-serving little shit where I'll just twist the truth in any which way for my own benefit. It means it helps to get some problem solved at times, but when it comes to really having people who count on you know that they can count. If you say, I give you my word and that will happen, there's no justification then to not make it happen. There's no, oh, but way I meant, oh, but no, there's none of that. The moment you say it, it's a done deal. Isn't it great? being able to have that handy because i feel i have that as well um i don't i don't think you could find three people in the world that would say this motherfucker did not come across with what he said right and having that and keeping it together for 40 plus years Mm -hmm. is invaluable now because there are people that you can call at this moment with just what you said that if it's that sort of decision and that sort of crucial moment they know that what you say is what you say yeah and there is nothing more valuable here come the police right now. God damn, we shouldn't have been talking about this. Damn, caught me already. All right, to the Batcave. No, there's, a, yeah, so one sword to me is key. It's if I can trust, and I don't like to give it too easily, because when I do give it, I want to make sure that it's something that I know I'm going to get done. Sure. If it's about the future, if it's about something that happened or what's going on in my mind or is this the truth, yeah, then I have no problem. You know, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what it is because there's no room for me to screw it up by promising something that I haven't done yet. If it's about the future, I really want to make sure, like, not just think I can do it or, yeah, I believe I will do it. I need to be 700% sure that it is going to happen no matter, you know, what little weird random accidents can take place along the way. So there's that, not breaking one's word. Related to that is the not betraying the trust uh, of those who give you their trust. To me, like somebody give you their trust is a sacred thing. You don't fuck with it ever, period. You know, it's like, because it's given willingly, it's given, there's no, it's like to me, somebody is nice to you once when they don't have to, you owe them forever to some degree. Uh, you, you can never get back and hurt them because you are either because you're a dick or because you are just not paying attention or something is so to me not breaking people's trust is absolutely key and uh, third and last this, there's a little more flexibility about this one but as a general rule I try to never intentionally cause in pain to anybody for that matter uh, whether I like them or not, mm, causing horrible pain, physical, emotional, or otherwise to anyone is not something that I look forward to. What about somebody who deserves it? Exactly. Like there the, are, the guys who run Enron. or Right. There are exceptions. You know, it's not going to, kindness is not going to extend to people who are directly coming after you. Because then, you know, it's not some masochist, let me whip myself while, you know, I'll turn the other cheek and the other and the other. It's like, yeah, to a limit. Uh, is not extending to a mosquito trying to suck my blood, is not extend, you know. 
so there are some ex exceptions to that. I don't want to make it too rigid because there will be cases where it's like, well, not in this case. But as a general, so the third one is more of a as guideline. As far as you, son, pain is coming now. Yeah, exactly. So the third is more of a guideline than a rigid rule. The first two are rules. There's just no way about it. Third one is a good, good idea, but... But to me, anything that's not covered in the in the previous three is fair game. If um, like when I think about it, when I think of all the laws I've broken or I do break, I cannot think of a single case in which one human being shed one tear because of something I've done illegally, or that has uh, even indirectly that has caused pain to somebody down the road, two steps removed from me, or something. So to me, in that case, is those are just stupid laws, and uh, I, I have no problem. There's also probably a never grown up teenage element in me that kind of has fun breaking laws. That is like, if you tell me there's a way to get something done, and there's a very good legal way to get it done, and there's a back alley legal way, it's just so much more fun to go down the illegal route. But uh, that's just my stupid teenage self that never grow up. But on the other end, and I mean, in that sense, it is therapy. You know what I mean? Sometimes getting away with breaking the rules, it just, there are few things that put me in such a good mood. Um, ever since I was a kid, I remember having it where I would be in this horrible funk when, you know, when you're a teenager, you have hormones raging, you go into these insane bad moods. And I would go on these ninja missions and get the deed done and come back with a giant <laughs> smile with a sense of accomplishment and feel like, yes, this was fun. So there's that. And also, I guess, on a sense, there's the level that you were referring to, which is there's so much fucked up injustice in the world done by the book, following the rules and yet exploiting it in such a way that you see people get away with murder, with the most horrible things, and they can get away with it no problem that just sitting back and taking it and feeling like ah oh, this is so unjust this sucks it's an awful feeling you are right and yet you feel like a victim when you do something that you break the rules under very different circumstances morally you know your moral standing is very different from theirs but it's not just you motherfucker who can break the rules to do horrible things i can break the rules to actually accomplish something pretty good it pleases me to no end. Again, the, that's why I end up putting Robin Hood as my hero twice. And um, so on that note, I can see the Breaking Bad aspect, except that that, the morality line, gets crossed in ways that I'm not always as comfortable with. You're not selling life-destroying junk to strangers exactly. either. Exactly. That tends to help. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just don't... Um, There's a great Bob Dylan quote in um, in one of his songs. He say, "To live outside the law, you must be honest." And there's this notion that you know, if you are gonna cross that line, if you are gonna decide to screw the rules, then you have to have an insanely balanced moral compass inside of you, because otherwise you just turn into some fucked up criminal who's out. Yeah, you're an anarchist at that point. You just. Right stumbling along with no real focus other than creating havoc and even that you know there's anarchist and anarchist right there's crazy anarchist in the war sense and there's this very sort of philosophically more morally balanced approach to the whole thing so in either case to me it's just like 
you really, laws are, I think we said that before talking about Taoism, that laws are, you know, for people who can't live without laws. And if you, if you are lost without laws, then you need them. But if you have a very damn good moral compass, then laws are just some stupid blocks that apply sometimes. But life is so more, much more complicated than any law can capture that to me doesn't um, silly things. Did you see, um, speaking of just insanity on display, mm -hmm. did you see Reese Witherspoon's arrest video? No, I didn't. Her husband... I think it was pulled over for an alleged DUI. Mm -hmm. And they're out, you know, giving them the runaround. Speaking of which, sorry for the... No, that's ahead. something that I have very little tolerance for. You fucking got... I'm all for got drunk all you want. Yep. You get behind the wheel of a car, and then at that point, even if you don't hurt anybody, you don't hit anybody... This time. You're taking some chances with somebody else's life. Yep. Ooh, so not cool on any level. No, nope, that really that's, pisses this, me off. that's a really bad one, because yep. there's always some motherfucker that hits a damn... Yeah minivan and he always walks out okay right he's so liquored up he just bounces around mm -hmm. the family you know burns to death inside right. the car no in fact stuff like that that's why when people get confused because they are used to either having people who are by the book follow the law be goody goody and stuff or have fucked up human beings who break all laws because they are self-serving little shits my approach doesn't fall into either. Well, you'll enjoy this because Miss Witherspoon from, from the car mm -hmm. starts bellowing out, do you know who I am? And the, the officer handled it so well. And he, they're in Atlanta. He's like, ma'am, I don't really care who you are and handled it perfectly. But to watch her snivel away like she's somehow better. Right. And then got out of the car after he told her not to. And he arrested her ass right then. It was awesome. On, so on I encourage note, everybody to check it out. I don't think I will. Um, that would go well with me because who the fuck is she again? Oh, okay. Well, I'm actually go. serious about that. Who is she? She was uh, June Carter in the in the Johnny Cash movie. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. She's pretty. Yeah, Waters for Elephants. Probably one she did recently. Yeah. Big chin. Yeah. Blonde girl. I remember. Blonde. And uh, so full of herself that she thinks the rules don't apply to her. Right. I'm Academy Award winner and. Um, you can't arrest my drunk-ass husband. Not only arrest him, put him in a scary cell. Yeah. Maybe with a, a, a criminal whose parents were killed in a fiery auto wreck by a drunk. That might be the place for him. Jesus. Yeah. Anyway. But. What's up with people? We can't, how are we going to fix them all? There, there's so many broken people out there. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> no, and again, you know, you do stuff like that. That, to me, there's no justification for. Nope. We mentioned several things that piss me off that are there's no justification for. But otherwise, you know, it depends how you break the law and how you go about it. If When I think of, to me, it's like, what's the outcome? If the outcome is anybody got hurt in the process, anybody can get hurt in the process, anybody sad because of something you've done, anybody suffer in any way, shape or form, that's a bad thing to do. Yep. If the outcome is, um, as I guess, that's what I think about when I think of my case, is like the outcome is uh, some people's rent have been paid or some people have... Okay, I won't get into too many details, but bottom line is some people get, I see joy on people's faces rather than problems, then I'm... It good trade. Yep. <laughs> you uh, Oh, I just lost my... My thought just jumped out of my head. I'll have to cut this out. Let me chase it down. God damn it. Where did you go? Come back here. Come on. You're your thoughts back. Thank you. He's kind of mangled now. I don't know what it was. Well, until then. So let's wrap our rant of the day and we move on to the next session.
Storytime. Storytime, ready to roll. So today's story is actually, this is a really cool story, man. I really dig it. It's, um, it's a story about basketball, oddly enough, and much, much more than basketball, actually, but that's the running theme. And it's interesting, if you were to ask who's the greatest basketball player who has ever lived anywhere in the world, most people who are not delusional would say Michael Jordan. You know, if you are a delusional LeBron fan, you might think otherwise, but me a break you know if you were to ask the same question on the pine ridge reservation in south dakota the answer would be could be rather surprising because one person will emerge as an absolute lakota keep in mind lakota people as many american indian people have an absolute crazy passion for basketball is the is the sport is the one thing that, you know, whereas uh, in the old days you would tell about warriors doing this and that, basketball is a religion pretty much. And um, the thing that comes out as a fairly awesome story is the story of this one lady, Swan Big Crow. Swan Big Crow was, um, never made it out of high school because by the time she... She died before her 18th birthday, uh, victim of one of the 7 million car accidents that regularly take place around reservations. So, you know, it may not start like such a cool story, except that the stuff that she had done while in high school is the stuff of legend that uh, as people on Pine Ridge repeat for year after year. She... Uh, she grew up, you know, Pine Ridge Reservation is not exactly renowned for being the happiest place on earth, you know, as this crazy, it's always used for like the bad statistics when you want to blow people's mind about, you know, 90% unemployment or per capita income of less than $10,000 a year or things like that. Uh, life expectancy in the 40s or 50s, depending on who you ask, you know, you, you really get, you're talking about pretty much the poorest of the poor people in the United States. It really doesn't get much worse than that. So rough environment, high rates of alcoholism, high rates of desperation on any level, because these are people who had their whole way of life ripped away from them, uh, being nomadic buffalo hunter that was gone, being put on reservation, being screwed over for so long that there's that sense of hopelessness creeps in. And that's, by the way, when people wonder about, hey, what's up with the high rate of alcoholism among American Indians? It's like, well... Uh, take a guess, you know, when you have a history that's made of 90% of your people being wiped out through diseases and war, you have a history of dispossession of your whole culture, your religion being outlawed, by the way, for almost a century within the United States, uh, you have, you know, it's not exactly happy history. And anywhere where you find extreme poverty and desperation, you find high rates of alcohol and drug abuse. This is no different. It sort of smells of a genocide. I don't know who yeah. would ever say anything like that. But. Exactly. So, you know, she, Swan Crow, grows up into this environment. So not exactly the happiest one, but part of what it pisses her off to only hear about her home being spoken of in that way. 
she's pissed that the only time that Pine Ridge ever shows up in the news is for bad, terrible, sad things. And she decides when she's a kid that she's going to make it her mission to have some other stories being told about Pine Ridge besides something depressing and awful. And specifically, the thing that she's going to get into, she, like many Lakota kids, she got into basketball. Uh, she has... Um, she has this one like basketball hoop hooked up to the gutter outside of her house, so not exactly your ideal playground. And she plays all day, every day, since she's a kid. And uh, she starts, uh, you know, whether it's sunny, rain, snow, you name it, she's out there playing. She regularly plays with all the other kids, boys, girls, doesn't matter. Her favorite game was something called mob basketball, which is a form of basketball where there are no fouls. So you can beat the hell out of each other. And the only goal is you need to score into the basketball. Doesn't matter what you do to your opponents in the process. <laughs> so, you know, she's used to play their little rough and she can handle it and all of that. And uh, by the time the... Um, by the time she starts playing, you know, she she becomes one of the... Um, varsity basketball player when she gets into high school and she promises her coach the very first year she promises her state championship never mind that Pine Ridge never made it anywhere close to a state championship and you're a 14 year old girl just being crazy but she said that and uh, she just uh, started kicking butt on the court like she started averaging insane points as this she'll eventually be named on the all-american team by USA Today she's uh, more importantly, though, besides being an awesome player, Swan gained a reputation among the Lakota. Lakota people have this. There's, in Lakota philosophy, there are these four virtues that you are respected for. Uh, let's see if I don't fuck them up and I actually remember them. Uh, one is generosity, which is the one that I'm going to be referring to. Uh, bravery, fortitude. Fortitude meaning the ability to take a lot of shit, to take a lot of abuse and still be able to carry through. And if you have these three, the idea is that these are sort of preparatory for wisdom. Wisdom is sort of, you can't have it without the other three. Now, speaking of generosity, uh, one of the things that the Lakotas love about Swan Crow was the fact that beside being this awesome player, she would regularly fake injuries during games when they were way ahead to make sure that other, everybody on the team would get to play and have time on the court. She would do all these things that were very, you know, not the typical player who's only caring about how many points they score, but do stuff that basically for everyone else on the team. Um, but the big, you know, her legend begins when uh, her team went off to play in uh, Led, South Dakota, which is this one town that where, let's put it that way, they didn't have exactly a good relationship with American Indians. There was when the... Um, when the team is, uh, their team is coming in, and again, this is a girls' high school basketball, but people take it pretty damn seriously, and in some cases for good reasons, you know, but in this case, not in a good way for good reason. Like what happens is the the parents of the opposing team and all the fans start throwing things, booing, yelling, the most racist insults, and all of that. The, um, this was when Swan was still like 14 or 15, was either a freshman or, or um, sophomore year or something. And the captain of the Pine Ridge team just breaks in tears, doesn't want to go. So Swan decided to lead uh, her team onto the court 
and she starts normal and then you know all the abuse all the stuff halfway through she just stops everybody bumps into her because like what the fuck is she doing she stopped right in the middle of the court she starts singing and dancing singing in lakota and dancing and then grab the ball does this crazy ball handling exhibition and just goes to put an insane shot into the basketball and it's not what she did it's probably how she did it you know the energy and something about how she will handle this whole thing by the end of the game the parents of people who pretty much went to war with the lakotas are best friends the, she went into a hardcore audience with nothing but racist stuff to throw at american indians by the end of the game they were good pals and it was all good and and again it's hard to describe because it's not what she did is the charisma that she brought in how she was handling the situation yeah because crushing somebody by 40 doesn't often get uh, much love right from the other team yeah 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 but again there's something the story goes that by the end of the game the opponent's audience who started with racist insults was giving their standing ovation and so on so quite something to do for a very young girl and you know, it's uh, not considering where the story, how the story starts and everything. Eventually, she ended up uh, going for the state championship um, in the perfect storybook. Like it looks like a freaking movie, right? So Thirty, you know, a few seconds to go. The score is tied. Seven seconds left. Um, she takes the shot, and she misses it. And uh, you know, so close to the dream to fuck it all up and end up throwing it all away. Not quite. Like the fury that she was, she captures the rebound, shoots again, scores, winning the thing with half a second left to go. Wow. Right? So Pine Ridge goes nuts. What year was this? Um, 70s? Uh, no, later. Probably either, I want to say 90s. I'm thinking it was early 90s. I'm just wondering. Yeah. Because it is um, almost unbelievable that it's not a movie. No, and that, by the way, is interesting that you mentioned 70s, because Pine Ridge, during the 70s, there was this nasty civil war going on between more assimilated American Indians and more traditional ones. Shoot, you know, really, like, tons of people dying in the course of the shootouts, by the way, with a lot of FBI assistance to the more assimilated side to wipe out the more traditional one. And what ended up happening is, after the victory of Pine Ridge getting the state championship, you have people from both of these groups celebrating together in the streets, going nuts. She and healed them. So exactly. So she has the story of somebody who managed to bring together the more racist crowd in South Dakota with Pine Ridge kids, the side of Pine Ridge that's more the assimilated uh, pro-government side with the more traditional, only speak Lakota kind of guys. And again, this is a young girl who's less than 18. And, uh, you know, she's, uh, during this period, she ended up going, uh, traveling through places that probably on Pine Ridge you would need a map to find, like Lithuania, where the fuck is Lithuania, you know, or places that nobody had ever heard of where, uh, you know, they get to play exhibits all over the world and wow. all this stuff. And, uh, you know, you, and again, some of this, hero worship about Swambekron, Pine Ridge, it's really mind-boggling when you read about it. You get these stories from, you know, a bunch of little girls named after her, you know, uh, morals with their painting on, all of these kind of things. So it's, um, 
Yeah, man, that's quite a story. The fact that it ends in tragedy sucks, big time. Was it a drunk driver? Um, you know what? I don't know. I'm not sure. Extremely possible on the reservation, for sure. Uh, considering the high rates of alcoholism, that's definitely a possibility, but I don't know. Well, I, I have to put my call out right now for our friends at Sure Design that maybe we need to create recreate the 1990-whatever Pine Ridge State right. Championship basketball shirt and uh, send all the... Proceeds to Pine Ridge. Yeah, because that'd be an this awesome was, thing. This was insane. Like her story is. Oh, just, I got it. As usual, I'm gonna run home and look it all up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's actually um, in a book by this guy Ian Fraser uh, on the rest. The rest of the book. Um, let's put it that way. I'm not a fan. I thought the rest of the book was yeah, whatever. But there's the part like 30, 40 pages when he talks about Swambi Crow and a lot of the info is that's where it comes from where i got a lot of this stuff man that part suddenly is just amazing uh the other 250 pages of the book i can gladly do without but this 30 or 40 man they are good stuff now this backbone to the lakota religion sounds like a pretty good place to base most any civilization on yeah i mean the whole four yeah these are when you think about it it's four ideas of generosity awesome because, I mean, bravery is great, right? Bravery is an awesome thing. But that could be just purely for your own self in a purely individual. Which, again, all the power to you because you have something that most people do not have. Sure. Or even fortitude. That's great. Generosity is where your talent gets to be shared with other human beings. And combining being. generosity with fortitude and bravery is a lot better than combining fortitude and bravery with uh, some shittier things that lead to really dark things. Precisely, exactly. Because you can be, you know, the awesome samurai who's brave and tough and all of that, and you are at the service of some warlord. Well, that's sweet. You know, you have power, but that's not necessarily used for good things. So yeah, the combination of the things, I dig it a lot. There's Speaking of shirt design, I want to at some point down the road do a shirt with, uh, is a mix of like a Taoist American Indian thing. I want to have this Tao with these four feathers come down from it, kind of like- um, Like a dream catcher. Yeah, exactly. But, and the four feathers standing for these four things, you know, the four virtues according to the Lakotas. Well, it's almost like you're creating your own religion. <laughs> Available now on Amazon. Please be sure to go through the Amazon link from the Drunken Taoist website so that we get our taste, a double taste, of this uh, hot-selling book. And get it while you can, because who knows when the second printing will be available. Indeed. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So that's it for story that, time of the day, man. That is, even though somebody died at the end, yeah. that's our least bloody story time ever. It is. I'll be interested to see what the reaction is. I thought it was a great story myself. Oh, and speaking of reactions, yeah, if you guys want to jump in and we have a um, forum at the Drunken Taoist, you want to comment about episodes or about other things, just jump in and join a conversation. That's always appreciated and very fun. Yeah, it's fun. It feels like people are really starting to get into it, too. There's uh, many expansive categories. Please leave. A lot of people read, not a lot of people drop messages. Yeah. I don't know if that's normal, but some of them are like four or five hundred looks with only 30 or 40 comments. Right, right, right. No, don't yeah, be so shy. Don't be mean, yeah. but don't be shy. Absolutely. In that case, if you want to be mean, just be shy. It's better. That's but, a good combination. But otherwise, yeah. Alrighty, cool. onward and downward. Yep. I have a dream today. And now we cross the ethereal plane for a visit into Bellelli's dream time. Dream time. Um, okay. We are, today's a basketball episode. It shows up in 
multiple places. So we saw the story time with about Suambe Crow. My dreams, hmm, that's a weird one. Now the dream itself is gonna be short and sweet and then I'm just gonna go off on something else basketball related in that regard as part of our dream segment. The dream was rather bizarre. I was playing a game of three on three um, with my teammates were Ganesh, the Hindu elephant god and Lao Tzu. And I was playing a friendly game with, uh, on the other team, there was Jesus, Buddha, and Krishna. It was a fun game, you know. I was Jesus got a mean hook shot. You got to watch out for that something. He gets on the edge and, woo, there he goes. You can't I, stop him. I was very honored to be, uh, to be invited to join these divinities pickup games. It was, was cool. <laughs> I was like, I felt slightly out of place, but I was still thought he was nice. Can was, Ganesh move? Is he good uh, underneath the oh, hoop? Man. or? Yeah, a big guy. You wouldn't believe. Kind Creature. of like Charles Barkley. You know, a little on the chunkier end, but man, the guy can move. He's there when you need yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, but yeah, so that was kind of fun. And can you use your trunk if you have an elephant <laughs> trunk? <laughs> I don't know. It's just the intricacies just make me crazy. Yeah. Talk about the animation. I can already see it. And by the way, do you know that in Hindu iconography, Ganesh, you know, elephant god, so an elephant, uh, yet he... Um, he He's, he rides on a mouse, which is, you know, physically impossible, right? Because it would be crashing. And that's part of the paradox of Ganesh that can find ways to open doors when no doors are open and so can do these things that no one else can do. And it's pretty funny. But in any case, he had no mouse while we were playing basketball, just in case you're wondering. His own stompy feet. And that got me thinking about my um, basketball experience. Because when I was a kid, I remember I was I was playing a lot. Like I started playing when I was seven or eight and I loved it and I played a ton. Um, obviously, you know, there were problems because eventually I was never, I was never big. I'm not big now, you know, I'm five, nine now. So, you know, definitely not good enough for basketball standards or at least you need to have insanely fast feet if you are on the shorter end. And I did not have insanely fast feet. I had insanely fast hands. I could shoot from like crazy distances with insane accuracy. I can do a lot of stuff. But as far as, you know, if you are if you're shorter, you need to at least be really fast on your feet. I didn't. But in any case, this reminds me of the years that I spent playing a ton of basketball as a kid, mostly playgrounds in the weirdest conditions and so on. Because there really is no league. Like in US, that's one thing I really loved about US was you can play organized sports where there is such a thing. And room for most everybody. Right. In, uh, in Italy, there was nothing. You know, you play playgrounds. There's no sports in school whatsoever. There's just none. You know, there's absolutely... Not even not even uh, soccer? No, nothing in school. Wow. Schools are purely boring academic crap. There's no sports whatsoever at all. So that makes it more complicated and, you know, it sucks because I, I think I would have dug that a lot. would have been fun. But in any case, point being, I remember one day when I was... Um, I went back to Italy a few years ago and I ran into this guy and we recognized each other a guy that I would play with forever long long before it's like oh do you still play basketball I'm like no no I haven't played in forever and I mainly do martial arts now and you know we're reminiscing and stuff and he went yeah martial arts uh, hmm. well the way you played not a whole lot of difference, I would say. You're just doing the Suan Big Crow um, a mob style yeah, basketball. Yeah, and I just remember, oh shit, yeah, that is true. And it's, let's put it that way, I seem to have a passion for a more physical type of game, which seems suicidal considering that I was a lot smaller than most people. 
But, uh, and in some way, maybe that was my official justification. It's like, yeah, you know, they're all bigger and meaner. I have to be a little edgier in order to get away with shit. Old elbows, Bellelli. Yeah, I mean, I remember doing some very bad things on the field. On the field, I remember people who, my friends hated my guts. People on my team hated my guts because I would just be on everybody's ass to give 150%. And I would dive on every ball, leaving pieces of myself on every court. So if you're getting lazy on defense, I'll throw you out to that, right? And and my opponents, yeah, not usually liking me a whole lot because I was... It's not so much that I blatantly did nasty, horrible things, um, but I definitely played uh, at the edge of legality constantly. Shit, I remember... Once again, it's just themes just rolling yeah, all over the place. Exactly. Basketball and outlaw life. <laughs> I had like I remember playing a game where my dad was on the opposing team and uh, he would not speak to me for like an hour afterwards. Uh, this one time he just dove right on the line. You know when you are in that weird balance where your foot is right on the dot and you are trying to tip the ball back in, and I come up behind him and I didn't push him because that would be a flagrant foul or anything. I just barely touched him, which you can't really call a foul on something like that. But I'm pushing you off balance and you are going to end up off. He hated my guts. And yeah, so my basketball was made of all elbows and nastiness in various ways. And I mean, part of it is that's how the game is played. That's how if you're smaller, how you're going to do things and so on and so forth. But on the other end, the reality is I dig it. There was something fun to me about playing basketball in that fashion. Is um, You know, there's something cool about scoring the big shots which was actually something i was pretty good at was you know three pointers that was my thing it was score from afar and all of that and i dig that but to me the heart and soul of the game is the ugly dirty trench warfare aspect is putting your body on the line to take a charge from the opponent team where you get the knee in the stomach at full force it's Rebounds. still manage to fling the layup in as yeah. you're hitting the ground. It's rebounds, it's, uh, you know, blocking, it's doing the unglamorous stuff of the game. To me, is what makes it interesting, is what keeps it fun. And it really boils down to... Um, it really boils... There's, have you ever seen the movie um, Any Given Sunday? Sure. There's that famous Al Pacino, Al Pacino speech uh, about inches, right? Yes. And this game of inches. Yeah, if you've never checked it out, check it on uh, YouTube or something. The, the Al Pacino speech from Any Given Sunday. That to me is what physical play is about. Is about just. It's more about passion and desire than it is about being winning a stupid basketball game. You know, it's about what are you willing to do? How hard are you going to push your body? I'm sure you can do it in just about any other sport. For me, it just happened to be basketball. And it happened to mean more the chasing after the loose ball and diving over 10 feet to get it rather than about just purely scoring the nice shot. Scoring the nice shot is technique diving on stuff, taking fouls on your own end, jumping for rebounds, fight. That's about passion, desire, willpower. It's about something else other than playing a game. I don't know if you watch any of the, um, the NCAA tournament, but that's always been one of my favorite things because technically they're playing for each other in their school. Mm-hmm. They're not getting paid. 
Yep. A lot of them, are, this is the only time they're going to be together. And you get that level of effort. And there's always the Cinderella, too. It was what Gulf Coast State or something yep. this year made. Yep. And to see them go up against Florida and be ahead in the beginning, it was amazing. And you got to root for the underdog. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it really boils down. That's why, to me, sports, I'm fascinated with sports. It's not so much. Because, I mean, when you think about it, most sports are like putting a stupid ball inside. It's like, who the fuck cares? In the great scheme of things, it's not sure. a big deal. But it's about a test of desire. Is about willpower. Is about how much are you willing to put on the line right here, right now, to achieve whatever you're trying. You know, it's about so it's about guts, and I dig that. That's what I really, really dig. And then the fandom that, that joins it is makes it even more crazy because exactly what you said. It really has no importance in the world. No. This has really nothing to do with whether or not <laughs> you're gonna be able to put some tomatoes on the table tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And, but people uh, are so hooked, mm-hmm. and not just the degenerate gamblers. I mean, it's funny. You, there's a housewife in Baltimore somewhere that when it was Super Bowl time, she would have murdered somebody to make sure that her team won. I think a lot of it, there's that element of his... Um, Belonging. Some of the, some of the, there's that for sure, and that's the uglier side of sports mentality. But there's also on the more positive side, there's that element of is a theater of the qualities that you most admire that are put in very, they're showcased in very obvious fashion with nothing scripted ahead of time. You don't know what's going to happen and you have right here, right now to pour out your heart and soul to accomplish a goal. Good sports, the epic stories are like nothing else. You know, they are just these amazing moments that elevate whoever is watching, let alone who actually is participating. Uh, a lot of it is not like that, but the good moments, man, they are the stuff that, you know, they are epic poetry to me. Well, it's funny that you mention that because even something very scripted, like old school, I'm not talking about WWE, mm-hmm. but old school wrestling from the, the 50s on yeah. forward when guys would do this at carnivals and things, mm-hmm. it was exactly what you described. There was definitely the bad guy, yep. there was definitely the good guy, and it was going to swing both ways, and you generally knew who was going to win. Yep. But you never really knew for sure. Of course. And that is what made people love it. Yep, absolutely. It doesn't really matter who the guy is. It's he was theater, but this cool hero. Theater combined with incredible, right. you know, the, the, and, and not that I'm a crazy wrestling fan, but um, I did work a little bit with the guys that are doing it today. Mm-hmm. Still doing that kind of yep. low-end circuit. And it is vaudevillian level, acrobatic, you know, unbelievably yep. talented. Yep, to yep, do those yep. flips, to hit each other like that and, and not have someone snap a neck every day, unbelievable. No, absolutely. And the passion that comes through is something that is actually clearly fake, but it's still, like you said, it's that epic good versus evil, here they go, and we're never really sure who's going to win, but we sure hope our guy does. And those are... Those awesome. are, it's storytelling, you know, those are the great stories yeah. and that's what sports deliver at its best. And that's why to me it's like, I can remember, you know, the moments about basketball the moments i remember there are lots of things where i say oh that was a freaking awesome game you know the day when you score like 10 three pointers in a row and you're like what the hell this is just and that's fun but to me that's not the big deal to me the like the one thing i remember the most was um it's probably my proudest moment in basketball and nothing to do with scoring or with anything was a game that i played 
I think I was 16, right after I broke up with my first girlfriend. I was not in a good mood. I knew a girl was going to come into this. And my tendency to use my body as if it was somebody else's was heightened dramatically because <laughs> you're in this weird space where you don't give a fuck about getting hurt or anything. And on the first damn ball of the game, I just took a dive to chase after a loose ball. The place where we're playing was great gravel. So, you know, I sliced myself up completely. My was bleeding from my elbows like there was no tomorrow. But I didn't give a fuck. The level of AIDS paranoia had not quite reached Italy big time, so nobody was cared too much. And I just started the game. I'm not going to stop because I just woke up. <sighs> the good old early 80s. And uh, the only part that I remember that was a little disturbing was after, you know, after an hour of playing where everyone in the field is covered in my blood, one guy at one point... This crazy guy was playing with a watch on rather than removing it as you're supposed to. And I remember that this guy tried to look at what time it was and couldn't see the time on his watch because his watch was covered in my blood. That makes it blood 30. And so I was like, that's what they say. No, you guys, you need to leave. And all nine people on the field were like, we're not with you. Get out. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, that was my best game ever. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I didn't do, by the way, in case you're wondering, during my dream, none of this bloody part took place with Ganesh, or uh, it was actually a friendly, polite game with uh, the divinities. A little but, shoving, uh, but nothing too crazy, huh? That was fun. Was Nobody just, unleashing any special powers? or well, well, No, actually, no. It was just a regular game, just with curious characters playing it. Because Moses, but, he'll damn float a ball uh, in there on you if you're not careful. Moses wasn't there. I, yeah, I think he would have brought a different vibe to the game but yeah what was it <laughs> buddha krishna jesus Lao Tzu, ganesh relatively mellow kind of stuff and the great Pulele. yeah so good times that's an excellent dream that's dream time everybody and uh off to the next problem It's definitely time for a dip into the digital mailbag, but in our in our basketball theme today, one thing I, I neglected to mention during Dreamtime is recently on the internet, there's, there's there's been a couple of great basketball stories, and oddly enough, they both are Down syndrome kids that were the the manager mm-hmm. of the team. So, yep. and the one one's about three years old, and a kid had had been there every day, and he did the uniforms, and he was you know. Worked with the guys during practice and just, you know, just didn't have great mental capacities, but he loved the game. And so, in the final game of the season, the coach told him to dress out. And just dressing out, it was like, that's amazing that he did that. Not only did he dress him out, he put him in the last two minutes. The team was ahead a little bit, and he went down and went on a three, he went on a six three pointer in a row tear. Jesus. That by when the sixth one hit, as the clock was finishing up, the crowd explodes. So definitely search for that on the internet. It's one of the greatest ever. Wow. And that, you know, awesome. Well, here about four months ago, another one came out. And I first thought it was the same story when I see it. Same sort of setup. Down syndrome kid, manager of the team, always wanted to play right. a little bit. Final game of his senior year, coach dresses him, and they put him in. Well, he goes down and throws up a brick after brick after brick. And the team's feeding it to him. The other team's kind of laying off the defense a little bit, letting him get a shot. Time is running out. He's missed. It goes out of bounds. The player from the other team throws it to him so he can have an open shot and make the shot. Nice. nice. And, of course, nice. the crowd goes crazy again. Yeah. So. 
Both of those will get you boys some generosity points, and the Lakotas yeah. will let you come drink with them on their reservation. Nice deal. Anyway, that being said, uh, be sure to check those out. They will both make you smile and give you a, a monicum of belief in this group of humanity between all of our bombings and craziness that uh, maybe stars. we are worth keeping a little bit, maybe a few of us. So what did we discover in the digital mailbag? Uh, we have a lot. I haven't really been uh, answering as much as I should have, so I'm going to try to, between this one and the next one, that to answer a whole bunch. Well, didn't Mike uh, V worry, warn us about this a few episodes back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we it's are impossible gonna... to get to everybody, and we do no. apologize, but yeah. I try to read everything. Absolutely. So let's try, without further ado... Let's try to play with a few of them. Um, one is, you know, we go from simple to weird to everything in between. Among the simpler things, uh, somebody asked me about the weirdest foods I've ever eaten. Among the weirdest foods I've ever eaten, you know, beside the usual, meaning crickets, frogs, that kind of stuff. Crickets, by the way, freak me out a little bit. They look at you basically. I mean, they don't look at you because they are dead, but they have their eyes and their head and the whole thing is so tiny and it's like weird. But yeah, crickets and frogs were interesting, but... Uh, Oh man, one that was, yeah, that was that. Um, when I was um, a few years ago, when uh, when Isabella was like one year old or something, you know, with a one year old, when you're home alone with them, you can't really afford to ever step away, right? You need to be right there. So when she's eating, half of the time, when you know you, she chews up something, something, you end up rather than having to grab something and go toss it, which you can't because you can't leave those 10 feet to go to the trash. You need to stay right there. The amount of stuff that I eaten straight from chewed up stuff from her that fell is can't even be mentioned, except that this one time I thought it's like, ah, oh, there's this chewed up piece of banana. So I'm just going to go eat it and whatever and be done with it. Yeah, turns out it was not banana. Came straight out of her nose and oh. I ate it. Oh. Yes, that was not fun. Yeah, nothing to compete with that, man. That's, no. uh, wow. But I'm going to throw one more that's on the weirder <laughs> end of six. I'm not quite done with baby food disgusting stories. She's even smaller at this point. She's like really eight months old, seven months old. These were, you know, for my food eating days, those were strange days, I guess. Because this one night, one thing that you do with uh, breast milk is the fact that when you, rather than just being drunk from the source, is uh, you pump the breast milk and then you freeze it. So it's in there in these bags. And, you know, sometimes a bag, there's not that much. Sometimes you have a whole bunch. But once you defrost it, it's done, right? You need to eat all that Time to, be to drunk consume or, it. Right. So there was a whole big bag and she drank a smaller amount of it. And, you know, if I, then I put her to bed and I'm looking at it. Ah, this is such a waste. All this breast milk going to waste. And then I thought, I tried and I'm like, okay, that tastes really funky. So let me do something with it. And so I decided, I started. You made a white Russian out of it. I put a shot glass and I put <laughs> breast milk and tequila. And I started doing tequila breast milk shots. Every single guy I've told this story to laugh their asses off. Every single woman I've told this story to look at me with really weird eyes and just go, ah, oh, Daniel. <laughs> I'm laughing. So yeah. I'm looking for reassignment now. <laughs> I can join the home team again and be awesome. So, so that was that. So that's as far as food goes. From uh, bananas that are not bananas to breast milk and tequila shots. Uh, what else do we have? Speaking of uh, babies and stuff, Zach 
I forgot who asked me the first one about weird food, but sorry if I forgot your name. On uh, Zach, on the other end, about philosophy of parenting. That's, I mean, clearly that's a very open-ended question. He throws a few more specific things there about, you know, methods of discipline. How was I raised compared to how I raised my daughter? Uh, do I buy my child everything they want or not? You know, that kind of thing. When they blow up, how do you deal with it? So on and so forth. Uh, I don't know that I really have like a clear cut, coherent philosophy about all this. But he don't always follow the law either. I certainly don't. And uh, and I mean, one thing is um, clearly. I mean, there are the basics, the things that everybody tell you that you need to. You cannot afford to say one thing and then take it back later. You know, you need to be consistent. So if you say no about something, it needs to be no. You can't just say no and then they whine for three hours and then you give in because then you just reinforce the sense that... And they can most certainly whine for three hours. Oh, of course. That's why you need to be very careful about what you say no to. Yeah. Because pick your battles in that regard. And in some cases, let kids feel that... To me, it's important to let a kid feel that you're not there to just hammer on their fingers telling them, no, not this, not that, not, you know, anything is like... I think it sometimes is good, even when you know that you're going to give in to something, to not say no and change your mind, because as we said, that's send the wrong message, but to kind of say, uh, you know, kind of make it seem like this is not an automatic yes, but you're not saying no either. And then implying, tell you what, if I let you do this, then, you know, kind of like one of my typical things is let's make a deal. And, you know, we do that, even though there's, we need to be careful about this and that and the other, we're going to go down this, but can you help me out with this other thing? And then it's like a friendly thing. It's like, there's the excitement of, oh, cool. We're doing these things that's slightly off the rules and so on. And yes, I'll be super nice. I'll do this other thing for you then. And, you know, it becomes uh, you are partners in this idea rather than one person enforcing the law constantly. I'm with you 100% because I've got a gaggle of teenagers now. And everything you set for those first 10 years, which no one will warn you, that mm-hmm. the first 10 years is a is a light warm-up mm-hmm. for what comes in the second 10. Um, you got There has to be flexibility and there has to be a give and take to it because you cannot be a totalitarian knucklehead because no. you're going to pay for that. Yeah. And... No, I, I like exactly what you said. You have to, has to be some discussion. And there does goddamn have to be no a few times. That's yeah, the other thing. That's the same. And you have to keep it at that. Yep. And you cannot flex. Just like we're saying, with you know, you're setting it up for when I give you my word, this is what it's going to be. And we have reached a point where no is no. Yep. And so go whine for four and a half hours. It will not change. Right. Because is there anything worse than being at the grocery store and watching some kid rule over their parents yeah you know that never happened to me there's never that argument of uh and maybe because i'm you've lucky. never seen it or no no i mean i've seen it on other yeah, yeah, people yeah. Oh, no 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 that's, but yeah it's like i was expecting the scene of like the kid who roll over on the floor yelling and screaming and stuff and other than a couple pretty funny moments like a third or joy at the moment with isabella where when she was she was two she started screaming, I want wine, I want wine. Well, so like, do I. Fuck, you know, or, or at, in front of the cashier at Trader Joe, she said, uh, she looked, stared at her in the eyes and said, I don't like beer, I like wine. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it together. Okay, ready? We're running away from the from bad, bad police. police. <laughs> okay, yeah, you do it. We're <laughs> running away from the bad police. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
I love you, baby. Let's go. Okay, it's time to go. But no, overall, is like I think is um, that's the result of uh, you set certain rules that then you don't live up. You give them the idea that if they throw a fit, eventually, sometime they can get away with it. Or maybe I'm lucky. I'm not sure which one it is. But well, there's a blend never... for sure. Luck's got a lot to do with right. it in circumstances for sure. I think the best compliment Gretchen and I have ever gotten is people tell us how well behaved our children are. Right. Yep. Well, obviously you've not met them at home. Sure. But but they know yeah. that when they're away and they're in a situation, they're they're representing the right. family. And it's time not to be a fool. Right. And uh, yeah. We've done a good bit of laughing at that kid. You know, look at this fool over here. Right, all right. And he'll probably get the corn, the frosted flakes that he's bitching about. Yep. And this will be damage that the rest of society will have to try to unhinge for the rest of his goddamn life because... You said one thing and then broke down and gave in to so the So he opposite. knows for all time, if I sit here and bitch long enough, I yep. shit my pants enough times, exactly. finally someone will come change it for me. Yeah. Now, I've had, I do tend to have a very... I mean, in some ways, I have a very indulging approach to things, but then in other ways, really not. And I think it's important to know when to turn it on and off. Like when it comes to sleeping, for example, uh, when she was a kid, she, well, she's a kid. What the fuck am I talking about? You know, but, did she grow up 15 yeah. years? No, but I'm, I'm too used to talking to her that she tells me stuff that she did a week ago. And she's like, when I was little and I'm like, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> you know? So it's getting into my own head about that. But no, I mean, when she was really tiny or, you know, when the first few months when you never sleep and you really go insane because you never got a fucking moment to sleep. I mean, I got so tired at some point that I remember my wife telling me, what are you doing? You know, and it's 3 a.m. And I'm like, what do you think I'm doing? I'm rocking the baby. And, you know, I'm rocking back and forth. And but I, the baby's in the crib? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I look down and there's no... Because, you know, you're, you're completely delirious, right? So after a few months, I think five, six months, they say it's when you can start doing that. I said, um, we, we switched and the idea was, okay, you need to learn to sleep on your own and you need to learn how to fall asleep. And you know, I was hesitant because, you know, there's this whole idea of, you know, let them cry that just sound mean. And it is mean if you do it that way. But there was the whole approach of doing it, you know, at slow intervals where, you know, you put them down awake, uh, you give them the good night, you leave, they get pissed, you come back one minute later, so not that long, where you're reassuring them you haven't abandoned them or anything, but you don't pick them up, you just reassure them, it's now time to sleep, blah, 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 you leave, they get pissed, you do it two minutes later at increasing intervals. I was expecting that it would be this long-ass battle for like a month of playing this game back and forth. It's like She cried all in all for half an hour, put herself to sleep. And then after that, you know, it became easier and easier. So, and it makes everything else easier because I'm not running on so little energy from not sleeping all the time. Sure. And I may have a little more patience in other moments during the day. And at the end of the day, she's less freaked out about sleeping than rather than seeing it as this scary, weird thing all the time. It's like she's used to it, right? And that's a terrible way to think of sleeping. Sleeping's awesome. Yeah, I love it. And uh, <laughs> But then again, there are a million times where I feel like the times when I felt the worst over the last few years about myself are always in regards to parenting, where, um, you know, you are tired, you are frustrated, you are whatever, and kids have no filter. So, you know, you spill a bunch of milk on the floor and you, and you feel like exactly you blow up and you're like, 
And then you see your kids look at you with these big eyes all freaked out. And you're like, I'm an awful human being. It's like, what the fuck? You know, it doesn't matter how frustrated or tired or whatever you are. Go punch a wall on your own, you know, but don't fucking take it. I mean, it's good for them to realize, yes, that did piss me off a lot. But there's a way to convey it without freaking them out and without yelling and screaming. That's probably a lot healthier. So that to me is one of the big ones is knowing, knowing when you're about to snap and be able to take a step back at that moment, not afterwards. But you're, you're, you're like a, a smart, well thought out human. Does it not scare you to death? Some of the people Shh. out there and some of the jobs that they're doing. Shit. I mean, you know, when you read about people shaking their babies, you know, the most horrible thing in the world, fuck when you have kids and in my case, my daughter is pretty good man in in every way i'm not only that i mean she's pretty good in the sense she's awesome in some way and then she's a pain in the ass in other but the uh, reality of it is i'm overall pretty lucky comparatively speaking she's not a difficult baby Could be way worse and yet the amount of times when you feel like oh my god i so understand people who shake the babies because you're just going insane and uh, there are days when they've cried for seven hours yeah. in a row. I, I'll never forget a friend of mine, David Thorngren. If you're out there, please make contact. It's okay. Um, he came by the visit. Our oldest was probably old enough to be going to bed by himself mm-hmm. and be able to stand in the crib and protest about it. Right. And it was exactly the sort of thing we probably read the same book along the way that eventually. You have to lay them in there, give them a good night, set them down. If they want to stand there and cry about it, then that's what they're going to have to do. Right. Well, this went on for two and a half hours. Jesus. And um, I'll never forget the scared look on his face. He's like, is it like this every night? Right, right. And we never saw him again. Yeah, I understand that. Broke up with his fiance and vanished into time. And that vasectomy instantly. Probably. Probably self-inflicted on the way home in the car (laughs) while he was texting (laughs) and drinking. (laughs) Never! Yeah, no, I mean, kids are... You need to really freaking want to have kids. The toughest job you'll ever love. Yeah, and then they're awesome, but you really need to want it because it's, um, it's intense for sure. Which makes it odd that we don't, you know... I guess this is just a crazy father of a teenage daughter talking, but we really should just get those kids on birth control so there aren't a bunch of them. Yeah, I mean... 16 and pregnant right. should I'm, be a warning. There's no reason for that. You need to want it. You know what I mean? And you really, there to. are. that's why there are no rules that apply to everybody because it really depends on who you are, how mature you are, what you want, what you're capable of, how much you can handle stress, all of those things. And they, there's really no set uh, ways to determine it. But the one thing that's common to everyone is the thing people usually don't tell you when you're about to have a kid is that it's perfectly normal at 3 a.m. to want to toss them off the windows. What's not normal or desirable is actually to act upon it. But as long as you just feel it for a moment, of it doesn't course. mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean, you know, it's, it's how it is. Is that evil child just robbed you of your sleep and your food and your sanity for a while. And but, will for the next 19 years. But they are also lovable, amazing. And uh, there's, I'm actually going to, we may start... Um, I want to start an Isabella moment of the podcast, the his moment when um, we may throw it in there in the upcoming podcast. But I remember this one episode that really freaked me out where 
she was having one of those days where it was like, I was about to snap, I was about to lose it, and suddenly I put her down for a nap, or I need that break, and then 20 minutes later, rather than the hour and a half or whatever, where I was expecting and craving every second to recharge, she wake up and she's crying, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna lose it, I'm just going to, and I go up there, and she's crying, and I just, I don't remember what I did, but she definitely saw it in my eyes, I was just like, and the freakiest thing that ever happened with her, um, there are many freaky things that have happened that made me think, who the fuck is this child sometime? Because some stuff she's done or said really blew my mind. But this was way more subtle than anything else and way more powerful at the same time because she stopped crying on the spot. And she looked at me. She was maybe like 10 months old, 11 months old. She just looked at me straight in the eyes and very slowly caressed my arm and just kept staring at me. And it was freaky because all of a sudden, I didn't feel like there was a kid right there in front of me. I was like, where did my baby go? And who the fuck is this person who's here with me now? Because there was a presence there that was way, I can't describe it, you know, it's a feeling, it's not a objective thing that happened. But there was that moment where I felt like, okay, this is not my baby at this moment it is and it isn't you know it is my baby but there's another level of consciousness and intensity and total eye contact and i felt like almost so to speak telepathically even though probably not literally but there was this sense of it's gonna be okay i know you're having a hard time you'll make it through you'll be fine and i don't know there was some really cool vibe that passed there and, you know, 30 seconds on top, and then she went back to being a baby and doing her thing and flopping around and eating her feet and whatever and stuff. And I was like, but I remember getting really weirded out by the whole thing. Like, whoa, what was that? You know, and you really put the reset button on me. That gave me a moment of... Uh, when you need it the most. Yep, definitely. That was uh, that was really intense. It's funny how many possible things that could be. That could be a chemical thing that gets released in your brain that it knew that daddy had reached maximum freakitude. Well, I'll tell, like, or it could be a you know a spiritual thing or it could be a universal thing. It's it's fun to in the maybe in the next time that we have uh, I guess episode 18 when we'll do our own thing again, I'll maybe have an Isabella moment and I'll start with weird stuff and there's such a long list of strange weird things that have happened that are interesting so but to wrap things up two more questions real quick so <laughs> i love this one this is about um uh, joe asked us a question about after hearing about my theory regarding why i like history aka the beauty of masturbation <laughs> the, um, he asked about my stuff about masturbation as meditation and uh offering uh, advice in that regard about the mechanic, no, not the mechanics, I'm just playing, about uh, basically, you know, my thought, like, to expand on my thoughts on the theme. And basically to me, the thing is masturbation is unlike sex. In the Sex with another person is about connection, is about emotion, there's about interaction. It's a whole other game that it really has nothing to do with masturbation. Masturbation is fantasy land. You know, it's like the physical mechanics, pff, come on, that's really not that much what it's about. It's it's all about imagination. 90 plus percent is uh, your creativity. 
and it's a game it's uh, and in that sense that's why to me is a form of meditation because it's like you go into this whole other universe where you're just going off in your imagination having fun and then uh, if uh, you do it right, so to speak, it's not just, uh, oh, you got off, you're done, whatever. It's like, it really reset the button on everything where you're just like, ah. See y'all in seven hours. Yeah, now <laughs> life is good again. Okay, and you get to this place of relaxation where you're more focused, you're more relaxed, you're more on. And um, so that's why to me is brilliant and uh, as far as uh, some of his questions are the, how how much is too much uh, how does it fit in a monogamous relationship and so on and so forth how much is too much is a judgment call right it's individual it's uh, as long as you feel better and is not uh, and uh, is not draining you of energy and you don't feel like you're gonna pass out you know it's about play- as long as you're not noticing a lot of uh calluses that yeah that may be a sign you might be reaching something yeah they were going too far (laughs) and as far as the relationship uh that's why to me is a good talk to have uh, into because i mean when you are in a relationship you should probably be open about everything and it's also to figure out what uh many women get freaked out like that's uh, either like cheating on them or some shit or probably many men do too in that sense where there's this idea that is like oh fantasy you're going are you thinking of me or some shit it's like give me a break it's like a whole other thing that has nothing to do with it and if somebody is that insecure and weird that they cannot understand that it's something else that is not that they don't fulfill your needs they may rock your world every single time but that's a, that's a different thing yeah sometime having sex there's also you put a lot into it because there's it's about that connection and you need to be aware of the other person and pay attention to them what they need what they I know I'm telling you new six. I know it's... I can't write all this down fast enough. Slow down. <laughs> what? Pay attention. Different. What? I don't know. I, I, I think a lot of our females out there will tell you that they'll appreciate the goddamn reprieve. Yeah, get in your closet and finish up. Now we got to go shopping and keep your hands off of me. Goddamn it. No, whereas you know, so that in that sense, that takes a level of energy and attention that you may not always have or want to put in there, and uh, you know the. Um, Treating a person as if they are masturbation material, that's fucked up. That's why you should take care of yourself on your own. Unless it's the Liza bot. And, yeah, exactly. Or you are into the or you are into the person. And then sex is a whole other thing. So different game in that regard. But I read somewhere, or maybe I'm making it up, I can't remember. Oh yeah, I think <laughs> I was uh, we were talking with Chris Ryan, I think I mentioned it how the one scene that I got from this one book, I forgot everything else and some mention about basically getting your black belt in masturbation is if you can do it while bullets are flying all around you, that's when you know you've hit your stride. You definitely can yeah, that's zen like um, for sure. Last but not least, when it comes to questions, we have tried to do this before and we miserably failed because this turned into a 10 minute wrap of stuff. But <laughs> somebody asked about music for uh, writing and working out. What do I listen to? I'm going to try to make it really quick because we, we did it once before and we had to delete it because I went, you know, forever listing names and stuff that no one wants to listen to. But real quick, working out um, the basics. Hendrix, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Pearl Jam, Led Zeppelin. Uh, uh, there's things like, you know, there are some people that I may not dig everything. Like Offspring, I find awesome by the Offspring. Several songs that are great for working out. 
uh, Dropkick Murphys, you know, some random things, Tupac, Eminem, of course. And then once we start moving from there, there's Ennio Monricone, a lot of those like spaghetti western soundtracks are freaking awesome for the workout. The Conan the Barbarian soundtrack, the 1982 version, awesome stuff. Uh, what else? What else? What else? We have. Um, I think we mentioned. What is that you dug from my list last time? Oh, off he goes by Pearl Jam. Off and, he goes from Pearl Jam. Like, what is the um, Dolphin Cry from Live? Or, or, oh uh, no, from Live was um, Lightning Strikes. Lightning Strikes. Yeah, the Lightning Crashes. That's, yeah, Lightning Crashes. That's sure. a great song. Uh, there's some Clash. Clash are good for working out, having that vibe of. Um, and uh, the, you know, I started actually using our own uh, theme song, the Drunken Taoist theme song. I dig it. It's short, so in that sense, it's for a quick sport, but it's great to have it in there. Um, so those are some for writing. Let's see more of you know one song that I listen obsessively to when I write is um, the Adagio by Albinoni. Is this classical music, very soulful, tear you apart, makes squeezes your heart out, and takes everything there is in there. Puts me in a good mood. Well, not a good mood, really. But puts me in the right mood for writing where you have to... It's not just about writing, whatever. It's about putting your heart on the page. And I dig that quite a bit. Have you ever played with Holtz, The Planets? That's some pretty nice uh -uh. stuff. It's... I'm missing out, I guess. Yeah, it's well given to listen to. There's uh, some guy, um, most people in the US probably don't know him. He's a huge star in Italy, this guy Giovanotti. He has several songs that are really freaking good. That's more for my writing side rather than the workout part. Um, you know, million other things. Ben Harper, of course. Ben is a, I'm hoping to have Ben on the podcast at some point down the road. He's an awesome human being. Uh, what else? What else? Well, lots of other stuff. But, you know, again, I don't want to fall into the trap that I did last time of listing every single fucking song I ever listened to. Well, we'll ask you a little different way then. When you were growing up in Italy, mm -hmm. did a lot of American music make it over there? Oh, or yeah, yeah. yeah. So what were some of your favorites early? I mean, Beatles, Stones? Mm, Hendrix. Hendrix. More Hendrix. Um, Led Zeppelin, of course. You have a lot of the classic rock. I dig a lot of, like, the psychedelic uh, Jefferson Airplane, Grateful Dead. I got a chance to watch The Grateful Dead live a couple of times before Jerry Garcia died. They were freaking awesome. Over here on a um, European tour? No, over here. Over here. Yeah. And um, so that's, yeah, those were some of the, the main things I was into. Hippie. Damn hippies. Cool. So I think with that, we are going to wrap. And today we're going to do a double duty. So you guys are going to hear it a month from now, but we're actually going to record two episodes back to back, episode 16 and episode 18. So we are going to catch a quick breath, load up on whatever strange substances. Actually, no, nothing really. We just... Um, Okay, you left something, <laughs> but uh, and then we're gonna roll for episode eighteen. Yeah, I'll see episode. you in thirty seconds, and I'll see y'all in thirty days. Yep. All right, be well, everybody. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. 
We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. Back to work.